Hello, homemakers. Welcome to the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I'm a wife, a mom, a granny, and I've been a homemaker for over 30 years. Welcome back to all of our regular listeners and welcome to any new listeners we have today. I'm so glad that all of you are joining me on the podcast today for this fantastic discussion on handling emergencies in the home with my friend, former guest, and paramedic firefighter, Elizabeth Dillard. I approached Elizabeth about having this discussion with me as a way to equip the homemaker to face emergencies in the home with confidence rather than being paralyzed by fear. So we begin this episode with a discussion about fear, and Elizabeth lays a great scriptural foundation for us to distinguish between fear that paralyzes and fear that mobilizes. Next, we address incident management, that is, what to do in an actual emergency situation, primarily focusing on medical emergencies, because those are the situations where you will have to do the most critical thinking and decision-making under pressure. There are decisions to make in a fire, but as you'll hear in that part of our discussion, much of those decisions really should be made ahead of time so that you can quickly and safely react in the moment. Also, Elizabeth has the most experience on the medical side, so that makes up the bulk of today's discussion. Now, I want to give a mild content warning here. I believe this is a very important topic, and all homemakers should be educated in basic first aid and emergency management. However, we will be discussing medical trauma, and some of that might seem graphic if you're naturally squeamish or sensitive to this topic. We're not excessively graphic. We just want to give examples and clear instructions about emergency response. And finally, this discussion is not a substitute for proper emergency management training. We implore you to get basic first aid and CPR training through your local fire department, health department, or other certified training program. After the medical discussion, we will talk about fire safety preparations, including education on the types of fire how to prepare your home indoors as well as outdoors. Then we conclude our talk on post-incident management. That is what to do after an emergency. How do we work through the aftermath for ourselves and with others? Because of the length of today's episode, I will not be doing Allison's update, but I did want to make a quick announcement regarding our Buy Me a Coffee Titus Two Woman Partnerships. If you're not familiar with Buy Me a Coffee, it's our virtual tip jar, and it's a way for you to financially support the Art of Home Ministry with either a one-time tip in any amount of $5 increments or coffees, um, or by committing to a monthly coffee of $5 a month. This is a privately funded ministry and everything we offer here at The Art of Home is absolutely free. Many of our listeners are living on one income because they're homemakers. And I never wanted money to prevent anyone from benefiting from all of our resources. Anyone can support us by sharing and reviewing the show. But for those of you who have the means and would like to give a little financial support, we welcome that through Buy Me a Coffee. And I wanted to do a little something to say thank you to those of you who are committing to monthly support without creating too much extra work for myself because I'm a one-woman show for the most part over here and without putting exclusive content behind a paywall. Thus, the audio edition of Homemaker Happy Mail was born. I hope all of you value the content of the newsletter as much as you do the podcast. However, I realize it can be challenging to find the time to sit and read the articles. So I thought I would read them to you. 
Of course, everyone will still have access to the original web format of the newsletter through your email, but I hope this audio version will be helpful on the days that you need to multitask. If you would like more information about tipping or becoming a Titus 2 woman monthly supporter, just click the support link in the description box or go to buymeacoffee.com slash the art of home. Thank you all for your continued support and encouragement. And thank you for trusting me with some of your precious time today for this episode. Whatever you are applying your hands to as you listen, I know you will benefit from and be encouraged by this deep dive into handling emergencies in the home. Welcome to the Art of Home. I am here with my friend, Elizabeth Dillard. She's a single homemaker. She has been on the show before and told us her homemaker story. So make sure you go back and listen to that. I'll link it in the show notes. But right now I have Elizabeth with me because we're going to talk about safety in the home, uh, particularly our response to um, fire and medical emergencies and things like that. And uh, if you heard her episode before, you know why I'm talking to Elizabeth, but I'm going to let her introduce herself and explain a little bit about why she is my guest on this particular topic today. Yes. Well, I'm excited to talk about this with you and with your guests. Um, So if you haven't listened to the episode before, um, she's talking to me because my occupation, my occupation is I'm a paramedic firefighter. Um, I've been in emergency medicine specifically for, I want to say like five or six years now. Firefighting, Mm -hmm. I've only been in it for about two-ish years. So um, I'm just bringing a little bit of uh, insight to this for you guys. Um, My heart behind this is more of to help you like prepare your home, uh, whether it's uh, physically preparing for emergencies, but then mostly like the mental prep beforehand and afterhand too. So um, yeah, I I was never the person that um, knew what I was going to do when I got older. But at the same time, I remember specific instances where people would tell me, hey, you need to think about some kind of like medical, get into something medical. Mm-hmm. Um I, I will say that I do hate telling people that I'm a paramedic firefighter um, because the response I always get is uh, something to the effect of, oh, I could never do that job. And people would just kind of be like, I can't do that. And I understand it's because the stress behind it, mm-hmm. which is 100% true. Um, it's, it is a stressful job and there are certain people, and I'm not saying I'm I'm that person that can handle the stress. No, like, um, but you know, there are people that can handle it better than others. So I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, I think it's also important to recognize that everyone's going to encounter something stressful, something extremely hard, whether it's a a chronic issue or an acute actual emergency, like we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always tell people like, especially in emergencies, you're the first responder. You're the person that recognizes this is an issue that I need to call for additional help for. Right. Um, Especially like medical emergencies. So you're the first one that recognizes this is an issue that either I address right now, and there's certain, we'll talk about it uh, later, but there Mm -hmm. are certain things that I always encourage people, like if you don't intervene right away, this person will die Mm. because I can't get there fast enough. Mm -hmm. So Um, I think like, that's the thing that I will always like, um, say to people like, you know, you need to, to recognize and be able to prep 
at least in your mind, how you're going to encounter these emergencies. That's why I love talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Not because, oh, like this is the best job ever, which, you know, it's a fun job. At the same time, I more care about people. Yeah. So I want you to be able to, to be prepared so you're not with the aftermath being like, did I do the right thing? I could have done more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a thought that comes across in people's mind. That's part of the grieving process, especially when things go really bad. Um, but at the same time, like I, I want to help people through that process too. So, yeah. Um, yeah so we're going to be going over a lot of like, um, we call it pre-incident management. So okay. how to, um, and I, I want to kind of take it from, because uh, especially, I mean, we're talking to like, Christians, mm-hmm. uh, women in the home, whether older, younger, mm-hmm. with kids. So as a Christian, how am I going to like mentally prep myself and then also um, my family in mm-hmm. emergencies? Um, we'll talk about handling medical and fire emergencies, um, good tips, and then also just things to recognize. And then I do want to cover like post-incident management too, whether it's for families yourself or friends, family, like people that are not in your immediate family, but if there's a, a friend in your church or sure. your neighbor that you know, like their house just burnt down, what, right. how do I handle like talking to them? Mm-hmm. How do I handle? Um, so I, I, that's definitely what I want to go over. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this, this is great. I'm really excited for this conversation. So, okay. The first thing that we're going to talk about is how to prepare your response. So tell us about the two different kinds of fear. Yeah. So um, there's there's two different kinds of fear, but then also those fear that we respond to. So first off, um, there's the fear that cripples us to where I don't want to get out of the bed in the morning. I can't mm-hmm. talk to people. I can't function. Um, there's also the kind of fear that prompts people. So prompts people to take action, whether it's a good action or a bad response, right? Um, so what what we have to do is be able to train ourselves to respond to that. And a lot of times, I I think that um, how we can easily daily train ourselves to respond to acute fears is just the small scale. Mm-hmm. So how do I respond when the kid trips and falls, mm-hmm. right? Um, if I respond with, oh my God, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And freak out then I'm training my response. And in this scenario, like the kid's response to, oh, I got to immediately freak out versus take a breath and go, okay, like, are you okay? Let's take a breath, sit down. You can cry. It's okay, especially if it hurts, but Mm -hmm. like we don't have to panic, right? Mm -hmm. So practicing in the small things, training your response um, to small scale, it, it, um, I can't, Anyhow, I was going to say exponentially, but that wasn't going to work in this sentence. I was trying to think of like grammatically expon. I can't. Anyhow, that's okay. It it increases yes. in an emergency. So how you respond on small scale, um, you're going to respond even more in a acute uh, sure yeah. big emergency, right? I think that's a lot. Li- that's a life principle. You know, it True. applies to not just emergencies. Yes. Uh, immediately, I thought of the Bible verse that says. You, you know, you've been faithful with a little, I will entrust you with exactly. a lot. You know, basically that's what he's saying. So yeah. it's in those little things that sure. we, we build those muscles that help us respond when we need to in an emergency. Exactly. And then also I think the foundation of, and I brought up a couple of Bible verses that I wanted to go over that sure. uh, just covers a huge scale of like foundationally. So like 
um, foundationally what I believe about um, how uh, who God's character is, so who mm-hmm. He is and how He loves me, and then also the strength that He gives us. Right. So when I have that foundation, that in turn helps me be able to face the hardships in life. So whether mm-hmm. it is like a chronic issue or it is an acute event like we'll be talking about later. Okay. So um, I brought up uh, in a lot of these verses, I mean, for sure, Christians are going to recognize. So Second um, Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So God hasn't given it. I mean, there is fear for sure. That's mm-hmm. an emotion that God has given. It's a good thing. But at the same time, He's not given us fear to kind of drown in. But yeah. at the same time, He's given us strength. Mm-hmm compassion and the ability to confront and critically think through things. So we can be able to take a breath and say, okay, how am I going to address this and respond to this? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Joshua 10, 25, Joshua said to them, I'm assuming the people of Israel, I don't Mm -hmm. remember the context right now, (laughs) Yes, but, um, and there's so much in Joshua about, do not be afraid or dismayed, Mm -hmm. be strong and of good courage. Um, And then this verse says, for thus the Lord will do to your enemies against whom you fight. Um, so, uh, fear, just recognizing it's very real, but also it's very real that God has given us strength and courage because of who God is. So not because right. we have the strength and courage in and of ourselves, right? because we don't. I mean, I'm continually reminded, especially at work, I'm continually reminded just how weak and how, um, like fragile I am, but because as a Christian, like I know where my strength and courage comes from. And then also being at work, being like, I have a a crew of people that can help like remind me like, Hey, we can get through this. We can work as a team. Like you're Mm -hmm. not, you should never be by yourself. Um, especially like in a, in a work environment, you're not by yourself. So remember who you are in Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrote down, First Chronicles 28, 20, David said to his son, Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Mm. Um, so um, why, like, how can we know we can be strong and courageous? It's because God is with us. He mm-hmm. will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. It reminds me, um, there was a story, and I could not for the life of me remember her name, but there is a missionary in Papua New Guinea um, right at the outbreak of World War II. And uh, the island of Papua New Guinea was controlled by uh, the Japanese. And so mm-hmm. from my remembrance of the story, again, I didn't go back and cross-reference it, <laughs> but um, the Japanese had given all foreigners a chance to actually leave the island before they went under occupation. Uh-huh. These missionaries decided not to leave. They were American missionaries. Okay. And so the the part that I've always remembered is right when, so the Japanese were like, okay, we gave you a chance. You're not leaving. Now you're going to go to our um, uh, con- not constant, well, constant, of war, yeah, prisoner like, of war camps, yeah. mm-hmm. concentration camps, whatever. Um, right before, cause they were splitting men and women up. And so, um, the, they were splitting, uh, and they weren't a married couple, but they were a friend couple. Mm-hmm. The man told the lady who I can't remember her name. It was something Rose, I think. Okay. But, um, anyhow, he said, remember one thing, God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And the whole time she was in these Japanese camps, she mm-hmm. would just remember God has not forsaken me. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to remember that, um, I wrote down these next three verses that I wrote down kind of say similar things. Okay. Psalm 56, four and God, I will praise his word. 
In God, I've put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Mm-hmm. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Um, fear is a choice, right? Mm. We can choose and how we're going to respond. I'm going to choose that I can trust God, that He has all things under control. Um, therefore, I don't have to fear. Because like, what does Paul say? Like, when it comes to death, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Mm-hmm. Am I really going to fear death? Because if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what's the big deal, right? Um, granted, God has made us for uh, life. Like, yeah. So that's why like, we fight for life, even right. like, when we go uh, through something really hard, devastating, whether life or death is on the edge. Like People's mm-hmm. bodies will fight for life, right? Because yes, he created us for life. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I don't have to fear death because he has control of it. So mm-hmm. um, those are just some verses as an encouragement. Um, just to start out, um, I like to remember that emergencies prompt us to remember that we need help, mm-hmm. um, that we're human, and that this world is dying. It reminds me of, um, I was thinking yesterday of two different stories. So Job's story, right? Um, where um, Satan's like, oh, God, I can get this guy to like totally deny you. And God's mm-hmm. like, well, here's your limits. Let's test. Let's mm-hmm. see. And you read the story of Job, and you're like, "This is horrible." Mm-hmm. Like the guy's going through, like his whole family dies, his all of his property, all of his riches, down to his health, and it's yeah. like, "Really, God?" But Job, I mean, Job is also like, "God, why are you doing this?" Yeah. But at the same time, he's like, "But I know you're God, and I'm not going to deny who you are." Mm-hmm. And at the end, God is like, "Hey, I'm God. Like, don't forget that." Mm-hmm. Right? Um, at the end, there's a good. You know, it ends as a good story because then Job's like, then he gets like family yeah, back. Yeah, everything's and, restored. Yes, yeah. everything's restored. But at the same time, just recognizing like, hey, we're human. Also, I was thinking of Nehemiah building the walls of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. All of the tribes around them were um, very much against them to the point where the Israelites had to have like to prepare themselves for war while they were building the walls. Yes. So just to recognize that, um, you know, no matter what's against us, no matter trials or temptations mm-hmm. or anything, um, you know, that that's going to happen. Right. God didn't promise that everything would be good and like everything would be easy. Instead, he promises hardship. He says mm-hmm. like trials will come, suffering will come, but mm-hmm. I'm with you. We've talked about this before in relation to identity on the podcast where we said, you know, anytime you see um, fear, being motivated by fear, that you're being motivated by fear, that is a like a big giant red flag that says mm-hmm. this is you you've got probably an idol issue here yeah. that you need to address something that you're putting your faith in your trust in your hope in other than than God um because you're af- you're afraid to lose that thing yeah so in this case when I'm thinking about that as you're talking about fear in the case of you know medical emergencies fire emergencies things that are scary to yeah. think about um it's 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 okay to acknowledge that it's scary, right? Yes. Scary things and horrible things can happen in this world. We are not guaranteed uh, just a cushy ride for the rest of our lives. Absolutely yeah. not. But knowing that God is sovereign, He, like you said, has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us, to walk with us through whatever we have to walk through. Yeah. That it's all been sifted through His hands first before He allows it to touch us, like yeah. with Job. Mm-hmm. And... Um, even if we can't understand it, he is going to bring 
some kind of redemption out of it. He is going to bring some kind of good out of the situation. But if we're so busy living in that fear of, oh my gosh, if this happened, I would come unglued. If this happened, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if. And that's paralyzing. It is. And it's no way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely like even, you know, uh, because I get called to people's worst day yeah. um, every time I'm on shift, whether it's to me an actual worst day where I'm right. like, actually, this is a problem versus like I show up and I'm like, for me, I would not call this as emergency. You may call it an emergency. Mm-hmm. I technically may call it an emergency, but you can definitely tell the people, you know, that, that are like, okay, what do I need to do? And they're able to, to listen to what you need, uh, are telling them about family member or whatever situation sure. or about themselves versus the ones that are just their brain shuts off and mm-hmm. you know like they're they're held by fear and they're either just shut off and they just don't know what to do and they're kind of paralyzed yeah. or they respond in anger they respond where they're like you're not listening I remember I had this one lady and um who had just her response instead of answering my question she'd be like you're not listening to me and she said that over and over and I'm like you're not listening to me. Like, you're not answering my question. It was a little bit funny, but at the same time, like, you know, it was a response yeah. because I'm, you know, that's what she had practiced where it's like for mm-hmm. years of, you know, people not listening. I, I don't know her story. Right. I, mean, I didn't know who she was, but, you know, from the acute problem that happened, her response to me was, you're not listening to me. And mm-hmm. it's like, interesting. Like, I wonder what brought you to that point mm-hmm. of like preparing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so, yeah. that is so interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk really quickly, um, about the, me- the emergency response that begins with you. Yes. So you've kind of got like three steps here. Walk us through that. Yeah. So, um, like I said a second ago, you are the first responder, mm-hmm. right? I, so, I love that. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, you're the one that sees something is not happening. That's not normal, right? Whether it's a very evident, um, issue, trauma, medical, or it's something where you're like, this person, like this family member usually reacts like this. Now they're not responding normally. Something's mm-hmm. wrong, right? So first of all, recognizing the problem. We'll go over, especially, especially medical, fire scenario. To me, firefighting is a little bit more like practical, black and white. Yeah. Obviously, if there's like a fire in your kitchen, you're like, there's a problem. Yeah, you're right? not going to not recognize oh, yeah, a fire. You're, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're not going to not recognize that. Like, this shouldn't be how it goes. But anyhow, um, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in detail in a little bit about, mm-hmm. like, certain scenarios where you can recognize, like, okay. this person needs intervention, right? So recognizing that there's an issue, right? And sometimes, especially, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but um, especially if there's, like, so especially on the medical side, um, if a family member has a certain diagnosis or some rare condition or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm not going to know what their normal is, but right. you do. So right. a lot of times, um, I will lean on family members with like, well, tell me, you know, what is this normal for them? Yeah, um, sure. what did you do last time when this happened? What like, oh, they went to the hospital last week. What happened at the hospital? Mm-hmm. So you recognize when there may be an issue. Okay. So recognizing the problem, um, then we need to be able to confront it. So this is where we can kind of channel the fear. Mm-hmm. I'll tell people, even the guys that I work with, the new hires, it's like you should always, like there's always a level of fear going to a call, whether it's like I can handle that fear or not. Yeah. Right? So um, be able to confront the problem and determine like, okay, is this something that we can address right here, right now? Can I throw baking soda on that mm-hmm. fire that's in the oven and resolve it? Or is this something that I'm going to need to call additional helpful or, oh, 
I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know. Yeah. It never hurts to to call for mm-hmm. professional help mm-hmm. just to get them to come in and be like, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the next steps you need to do. Yes. It never hurts to ask for help, even if it's, I'd rather you call me 10 times mm-hmm. And I tell you, it's okay, you're fine, you know, we can go get checked out, but this is an emergency versus you waiting until it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that because I think particularly with moms and, you know, you get this like, well, I don't want to bother people or I don't know if this is really an emergency or I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think just for sure giving people that freedom to be like, yeah, you know, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to call. And even if they come out and it ends up being totally fine, It's it's fine. I I can remember yes. one time. Okay, so I raised three boys. Yes, <laughs> uh, my daughter's so girly, and that she was never like a rough and tumble kind of person. And um, she's a reader and a thinker and all that. But my sons, you know, they're boys. Yes. And one time, um, my oldest son was teaching his younger brother, my middle son, how to swing a golf club in the front yard. Okay. okay? Very, so very practical. I'm yes. like, this Logical. is this is fun. This is good. Brotherly love. He's helping him out. Well, I'm in the kitchen, and then the next thing I know, like, the younger one comes screaming in, Mom, Mom, something's wrong with Nathan, he's bleeding. And then the older one comes in, I mean, in blood. And I had really never seen, like, a face wound yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And blood is just everywhere. (laughs) Because it it hit him right on the bridge of his nose. okay, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I had never seen so much blood, and yeah. I was, and he was almost in shock oh, yeah. because he was bleeding so much. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, "Oh my gosh, okay." And so I told my daughter, I didn't know what to do. So I said, mm-hmm. "Call nine one one because I he's bleeding yeah. so much." Mm-hmm. And then and then I had him lay down in the in my lap in the yard, and I had like put a you know like pressure on it's it not, and yeah. everything. And then by the time there was a guy not far, a car not far away, a nice. cop, and he pulled up. And um, by the time he got there, the bleeding had stopped. That's good. Yeah. And it was just this little like cut across Mm -hmm. the bridge of his nose. And he was like, he said the same thing. He's like, well, it's no big deal. Like, I'm glad he's okay. And, and, you know, if if you want, I can still have the paramedics come and just look him over. And uh, I think they actually did. But just the peace of mind that it gave me as a mom, you know, I did not know what to do in that Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. Um, So that was kind of funny. Yeah, for sure. No. (laughs) And that, that's... Awesome that you brought that up because that happens all the time. Like we'll get a call that uh, it'll sound like you know the the two year old hit their head on the coffee table mm-hmm. and they were not responsive to the mom for like a minute or so. And yeah. you're like that sounds bad. Then we show up and the kids like running around playing, laughing, <laughs> and it's like you know it's okay. I'd rather you call me to mm-hmm. start the process versus of me getting there. Yeah, um, and me get there and the kids totally fine versus not. Yeah. Um, so, but at the same time, also being able to take a breath and go, okay, like I'll put pressure on, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cut, the wound. My bro- my little brother did a similar thing where he was running through the woods and he ran into like a tree limb and he had this huge gash inside his mouth that just like your incident, a lot of blood. And it was like, okay, so just holding <laughs> pressure for all be like, okay, so you know, we'll go over a yeah. medical, like, you yeah, know, this like is what to do things you can look for, yes, you know, yes. but, but like you said, like confronting mm-hmm. the problem. Okay. Let me try this. Cause right. this is the immediate, if this is a life threat, this is what I can do immediately mm-hmm. and be able to recognize, okay, now do further steps need to be taken or right. do I just need to sit with the kid and be like, you're totally fine. Yeah. You can take a breath, you yeah. know? So yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of those three steps of yep. identify the problem. That there is a problem and then confront it and decide, 
how are we going to solve this problem? Can we solve it ourselves or do we need to bring in help? So those are kind of your steps to go through. All right. Well, let's go on ahead and move into the medical discussion. Um, And the first thing that we want to talk about is let's discuss the importance of being proactive with our daily choices. Yeah, so so we're we're addressing right now emergencies like mm-hmm. acute um, issues where you're like this is this is a problem that if we don't address it right now things could progress and get worse right immediately right um, so we're not exactly I mean we're talking health and wellness on a on a in a way but yeah. not the chronic side you know the little things add up especially when we start talking about chronic issues as we get older right right, right. so. Um, you know, and we we talked about it a second ago too. Like, um, especially when there's uh, scenarios that um, you know a person's normal is not what I would consider normal for everyone. Whether it's a, a disease or a, mm-hmm. a chronic process that's like I don't know so much about, mm-hmm. but you would. And so that's when I start leaning on family members with like, well, tell me more about this disease the child has, or, mm-hmm. right? So um, yeah, so this is a an acute life threatening medical intervention conversation. Yes. Just want to make that clear. Yes. So there is daily living that for sure impacts the acute chronic issues. So if, if you have core morbidities, that will definitely, you know, whether it's, you know, oh, I've had issues with blood pressure for so long, I'm a diabetic, mm-hmm. whatever, that's that's going to affect the acute emergencies as well, differently. Yeah. So I, I know, and I think we say somewhere around like 55, 60 and up, we just assume in modern America, you're going to be on a blood thinner just because of mm. the way our daily living has affected Interesting. Um, our... Um, like uh, cardiac condition, blood right. vessels, um, uh, plaque built up, everything mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to assume 55 and up, if you are cut and you're bleeding really bad, because I'm going to assume you're probably on a blood thinner, mm-hmm. potentially you could bleed out faster. Okay. So it kind of affects like, well, I may hold pressure for a little bit longer. Uh-huh. Anyhow, so that's just a, a small example of sure. like the little things definitely add up. Right. Um, so something else I want to, especially with parents with little kids, first off, you can set the level of urgency in chaos, mm-hmm. right? Whether mm-hmm. it's in your home, whether the emergency happens in one of the aisles at your grocery store, right? right? So um, recognize that your reaction um, is going to, people are going to feed off of that. Yeah. So if if you're reacting with panic, fear, stress, mm-hmm. um, anytime, I, Anytime people start raising their voices, I'm immediately like, okay, slow down. You know, this this is just going to raise blood pressures. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be able to take a breath. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine uh, that I used to work with. Uh, he was a retired pararescue man. So mm-hmm. that's like the Air Force's special forces. Okay. Think like Navy SEAL, but this is the but Air Force. Air Force. Okay. Yes, pararescue. Um, he, and he, uh, he's now, I think in his sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, but back when he was in the field, he would see awful things. Cause again, special force. So they'd get dropped in to like rescue really bad situations. Yeah. Um, and so he said, I loved, he used to say this all the time. He was like, just sit back on your heel in the really bad scenario when you're having mm-hmm. to put on tourniquets, when you're having to, um, deal with like you know, scenarios where it's like, nobody should do this to a child. Why? Yeah. Really bad scenarios. He just say, take a breath, sit back on your heels. And I love this part. He was like, check your own pulse. And I was like, what? And he's like, but his, not like literally I got to sit back and like, okay, let me find my pulse. But just, he's trying to tell you pause Mm -hmm. because if you're reacting in a chaotic manner, Mm -hmm. you're going to miss what you need to do to help the people. Sure. 
Absolutely. So, I can imagine that your adrenaline, you, you are going to, I mean, I've experienced this, right? Yes. <laughs> right. With the boys and somebody is bonked their head or, you know, blood. We've had multiple blood incidents. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and your adrenaline yes. is up immediately. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Like it's yeah. it's part of the way that God has designed our bodies, yes. you know, as moms to, you know, that mama bear adrenaline, like I want to protect my babies. And mm-hmm. um, I love this point that you really just need to sit back and and like, oh, I can tell that my my pulse is racing yes. and I need to take a few breaths so that I can yeah. think clearly. Well, and that goes back to the two kinds of fear. Like mm-hmm. that fear prompts you to say, this is an issue, I need to address it. So, but I'm going to react in a way that take a breath and go, okay, how are we going to address it? Right. Versus um, I've, I've come on and I've, I've had before. So you get a call and it's like, this definitely sounds like a cardiac arrest. And sometimes, especially if it sounds immediately like it, I'll ask dispatch, have you talked to them about doing CPR? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had it before where they're, the family member is just so paralyzed that this has happened that they just sit back and wait for you to get there. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I recognize like, you know, this is hard for you. Um, and I'm I'm never going to fault anyone for doing that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, you know, you also have to recognize your reaction to yeah. something that's happened will affect the person too. Right, right. Right. That's a extreme scenario. But sure. Um, just as an example. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So I was just going to go over two um, easy ways, whether it's medical or tra- uh, traumatic emergencies, mm-hmm. to recognize what needs, what what are the things that could happen that I need to intervene on versus okay. like, I can take a breath. Maybe this is an emergency that they're going to need to go in, but they're not going to die in the next five minutes. Yes. So, okay. Um, so first I was going to go over, there's this cool acronym. We started using it. It was um, initially created by, and I think I was told it was the British military that technically mm-hmm. came up with this acronym whatever it's okay. the military has been using it for years in the past like five to seven ish years i believe maybe a little bit longer uh 10 years or so but um they've really started pushing it into civilian life um because this acronym we call it march mm-hmm. um it addresses the um life threats that uh in order so if they're okay. having this issue first this is what i need to address before i move on oh okay So we used to call it, so people used to say the ABCs. So if you've ever taken a CPR class, they'll say, this is the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. This is what you need to check, Um, which is still a good, like, uh, a thought process. But at the same time, we found because of um, studies, what... uh, going on, uh, things that happened in like Afghanistan, Iraq, mm-hmm. back in like the early 2000s, we, we found that um, this acronym really helps us with addressing issues. Okay. So um, we start off so March, like a, and I, it's hilarious to me, the military definitely came up with this because they're like, <laughs> let's just march this out. And you're like, great, <laughs> take a breath and march it. But anyhow, first off, I want to address M is for massive hemorrhage. Okay. So if they are bleeding, and we know that, so if you get a little cut on your arm, you're like, sure, that's bad. Just like you said with your boys, we're always going to start with direct pressure, no Mm -hmm. matter where the bleed is, see if that affects it, right? Mm -hmm. I also need to recognize that there are certain vessels in my body that will bleed out even faster. Because just like plumbing in your house, the closer you get to the main source, the larger the plumbing is. Mm -hmm. And then the farther away, the smaller the plumbing is. The same with our body. So um, 
you know, at, at my fingertips, the vessels are very small versus if I start getting into vessels that are closer to my heart, whether, yeah. so I have carotids in my neck, in my arms, I have, um, so, a uh, subclavian that turns into my brachial in my arm. Those mm-hmm. are a little bit larger. So closer up in my arms, uh, down in my legs. So obviously I, I can't get to my aorta as well because yeah. it's protected by my trunk, rib cage, mm-hmm. vessel, um, muscular system. Um, but then when it starts coming to my legs, my femoral, I can definitely get to that artery. So if those vessels are injured, yeah, I'm obviously trying to, the same thing like you do with a little bleed, I'm going to start with direct pressure. Mm-hmm. Just recognizing though that the bigger the vessel, I want to push it to a hard surface. Mm. So I always tell people, like, think about your skeletal system. I can push a huge vessel to that hard bone and that's going to be able to compress it better. So in my neck, mm. I know that my carotids, my spine is that um, that hard surface. So I'm okay. going to push back to the spine. If it's up in my arm, mm-hmm. I know that I got higher up is my humeral bone. Mm-hmm. So I can grab that. And your your huge artery in your arm is under your bicep. Okay. And so I'm just going to grab that and push it up to that bone. Mm. In my legs, I know I got my huge femur. So mm-hmm. I can try to push towards my femur, right? Okay. But the, the main thought process is direct pressure. So I'm going to put pressure on that to, if not totally stop it, at least slow it down, mm-hmm. right? Um, if it if it's an emergency in the the torso part, we'll talk about that a little bit in a second. So I'm I'm gonna bypass that for a second. But okay. if it's in extremities, I'll always start with direct pressure. Mm-hmm. There's um, different classes, and I think I'll mention in a second that you can take the fire at least our fire department, and I know it's starting to go nationwide where we're okay. starting to teach like. Uh, especially like in a massive hemorrhage type of situation. Mm -hmm. Sadly, because of all the mass shootings that are starting to become so common, we're starting to actually try to push to people like, we'll actually hands-on show you this is how you compress your brachial artery, your femoral artery, Mm -hmm. your carotids. And then we're also teaching people, this is how you put a tourniquet on. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to ask about that mm -hmm. because that's what my mind goes to a tourniquet when I think about excessive bleeding. Yes. And I always tell people, start with with just your hand. Like try to compress it first. Mm -hmm. Um, and then think about, I mean, if you have a commercial tourniquet, perfect, great. Um, if you don't and you're trying to create an improvised, and there's all different ways for an improvised tourniquet, like sure. whether it's like, I've heard of people using like sheet, uh, mm-hmm. like strips of material. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of seat belts. I've heard of, uh, belts like that yep. you wear. Um, but anyhow, um, we, we are learning, and again, this is from research coming from our military with our soldiers overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq, is that tourniquets are not going to hurt you for, for a couple hours. Like You can leave tourniquets on. I think they say like two to four-ish hours, around the four-ish okay. hour mark is when they start worrying about, okay. You might lose this limb. Not so much lose that. The only um, actual tourniquet-related amputation that I've actually heard of is um, it was overseas again with one Uh of our soldiers and they had a tourniquet on that they forgot about for 16 hours. (gasps) Oh my God. Which I cannot imagine. Like how could you forget that you have a tourniquet on? (laughs) Yeah. um, I I don't know the whole story behind that. I just was told that and I was like, that's a little ridiculous. Um, But I will say when you you get to a hospital and it's like, hey, this tourniquet has been on for an extended period of time, Mm -hmm. they do, uh, they have certain protocols that they're going to try to intervene on medically so that once they release the tourniquet, um, all the acidic blood won't rush to your heart and cause like very bad issues. Okay. So that's all I'm saying is basically for you to know if you put a tourniquet on, I, and I've, I've gone on scenes where someone has put a a cop has put on a tourniquet where I'm Mm -hmm. like, this wasn't necessary, but I never tell people that because it's like, I'd rather you put the tourniquet on Mm -hmm. and like, 
it helped yeah. the person versus yeah. you not and the person bleeds out. But it's good to know that you need to take note of the time and let yes, the, for sure. the, re- the first responders know, yes. hey, this has been on for an hour or this yes. has been on for five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we've had <clears throat> other scenarios where um, uh, the, the one I'm thinking of, it was a kid that um, uh, she very much accident got a hold of. I don't remember if it was a shotgun or what, but she basically, the gun went off in... Um, she had really bad injuries to her upper arm and mm. the cop put the tourniquet on that definitely saved the kid's life. Mm. And so, um, I would rather you put a tourniquet on yeah. than not. Yeah. So anyhow. Okay. So first off addressing, if there is a large amount, even if you're like, I've never seen this much blood, mm-hmm. you put something like put your hand on, put a towel on it mm-hmm. and it stopped. Good. I'm yeah. glad you try that. But just realize the closer you get to the heart and the larger the vessels, mm-hmm. um, the faster the bleeding it's will happen. Bleed. So okay. that's like an immediate response of just like, okay, let me try maybe practicing that. Okay. Um, the next one in March is A. A is for airway. Okay. So I, when I think of airway, I think about your basically your breathing tube, right? Mm-hmm. From your mouth down to your lungs. Mm-hmm. So I think of obstruction with that. What could potentially obstruct that area? Whether I'm thinking like, a kid that swallowed something, mm-hmm. right? Um, really sick kid that now um, we call it like uh, epiglottitis or their tongue is swelling mm-hmm. or bee sting and now things are swelling. So something is obstructing all the way down to trauma, like something happened and now, um, you know, either blood's in the airway or maybe yeah. just super sick and they're vomiting continually and it's like, um, let me just, you know, something as simple as rolling them onto their side so that if they're vomiting, it's like, Make sure it goes out versus them laying on their uh-huh. back because they're so sick and now they're starting to like aspirate it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So something as simple as rolling them over and being like, okay, let's just let it out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the way down to like, especially little kids, just recognizing the environment they're in. Um, uh, I always tell parents if your child is coughing, crying, I am so happy. Yeah. Right. Because they're at least moving air. Um, yes. You know, crying kids, nobody ever really likes it except in the back of an ambulance. If that child is screaming their head off, yeah. I am so happy. I'm like, let them scream the whole way to the hospital because yeah. I know their airway is open, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so just recognizing, okay, as long as they can cough, I'm going to encourage it. So I remember being a kid and this gr- the kid was like coughing and I was like, that looks really bad. The kid's coughing and the grandma's just patting him on the back, encouraging him to like cough. cough. Um, uh, all the way down to like... Um, having a hard time struggling to cough. This is where um, I'm sure everyone's heard of like the Heimlich maneuver. Mm-hmm. I've been heard one, uh, I heard one time somebody said, we're not calling it the Heimlich anymore. And I was like, I'm calling it the Heimlich. Everyone <laughs> triggers their mind on what that is, but it's basically you're um, mimicking the body's natural response to want to cough. So you're mm-hmm. mimicking the diaphragm to force air. air to push whatever object out. Right. Yeah. So just recognizing if the tube for the airway gets blocked off, Eventually, obviously, they'll go hypoxic and things can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So encourage them to cough. Um, you know, if if it's fluid, like let them, you know, yeah. roll over to where they're not breathing it in, right? right. So okay. that's that emergency. I, I just want the tube to be open so air goes in and out, right? Mm-hmm. I want blood to go round and round, air to go in and out. Yay. Okay. We took care of those. R in March is for respirations. Mm-hmm. I also like to think of it as uh, chest injuries mm, okay. um, because if there's anything within the chest that is uh, causing constriction uh-huh. to, if it's the the lungs, not a huge issue, but I really start worrying about it when it starts compressing the heart. That's when it's a real emergency. We call it a tension pneumothorax when there's enough 
air or blood in the chest cavity itself, so not so much in the lungs, that's mm-hmm. causing constriction on the heart itself. Okay. So that could be trauma, whether it's like, I don't know, anything blunt that could happen. Like blunt force trauma blunt to force. the chest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, Medical-wise, when I think of respirations, it's like, well, how are they breathing? You know, we know like, okay, we're not struggling to breathe. You don't see like, I mean... You know, everyone's seen someone that's coughing. So if they're using a lot of muscles to breathe, mm-hmm. we call it retractions. So if you can see like between the ribs where like the, mm-hmm. the muscles are really straining, then I know you're struggling to breathe. Um, yeah. Let's say a kid falls, hits their head, and they're breathing irregular. So really fast and they're really slow, really fast, really slow. Mm-hmm. That can be a sign where like, hey, s- something happened in their brain where now like maybe they're hemorrhaging. And we call it... Um, Chain Stokes respirations, I think, is where it's really fast, really slow. So basically, are they breathing normal? Normally. Or are they not? And what potentially could have caused it that could lead to that? So is okay. was there some kind of blunt trauma and now they're starting to get kind of loopy and I talk to you? It's like, hold on, something might be happening in their chest. I might want to call. Yeah. Um, are they bruised real weird now when they fell, you know, down the steps and now they're bruised really bad and they're they're really mm-hmm. struggling to breathe? It's like it wouldn't hurt to get a you know, call, call an ambulance, let them listen to the lungs and make sure like that this isn't a true emergency. Yeah. Right. So that's our respirations, okay. right? Okay. C is for circulation. So I'm thinking about, um, uh, we have our central pulses mm-hmm. that comes directly from our heart. And we okay. typically think about that when we think about somebody needing CPR. So if I don't feel a central pulse, your heart's not pumping. I need to pump it for you. Okay. Um, all the way down to, um, so uh, I also think of, we call it distal pulses. So pulses that are farther away from your heart, small, smaller vessels. So down in your wrists, mm-hmm. that's your radial um, on your feet. So if, if you're having an emergency, whether it is traumatic or let's say someone's super sick, mm-hmm. right? Old people, whenever old people are really sick, um, they kind of start, we call it altered mental status. So they, they start um, getting kind of loopy. Yeah. And it's like, Interesting. A, a really um, high probability, especially if there's a potential infection involved, is sepsis. So it'll start affecting blood pressures in there, especially when they start getting really bad. Mm-hmm. So I start thinking about, okay, is this a fluid problem, whether they're bleeding for some reason, or maybe their blood pressures are getting affected because uh, they're dilating, their vessels are dilating because they're super sick, so blood pressure is starting to drop, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Sure. Um, so for the homemaker, I would say for C for circulation, I would just think about their skin color. Are they super pale? Are they, uh, starting to get sweaty? Are they starting to kind of get loopy? Mm -hmm. If you know how to check pulses, you can, but at the same time, I would just say skin color. Yeah. Um, especially with kids. So, um, kids will start really reflecting that right away. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that goes back to, this is not normal for this family member to be this color. I've had it, I literally had it a week or so ago. I walked in the house and the first question, cause I looked at the guy and he looked to me like really pale and yellow. And I asked the family member, I'm like, is this normal? Because sometimes they're like, well, yeah, they're old. They never go outside. So they're normal to be pale. But it's like, is this normal? And the family was like, well, no. It's like, okay, good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's why I think about circulation. Okay. The cool. last one, H, is we we kind of do two full of this. We either think about head trauma. So, like, kid mm-hmm. hit their head. So we're just thinking about mechanism with that. Mm-hmm. But then also we say hypothermia. Uh, This mostly goes into trauma because if somebody is um, bleeding really bad, if they're cold, so their core temperature is cold, they can bleed even more. And Mm -hmm. um, things can go really bad with uh, the 
uh, cellular part of clotting. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's why, you know, I don't, I remember being younger and people were like, yeah, my first aid kit in my truck, I have blankets. And me being like, why do you have blankets? Like, yeah. other than that's a nice thing. I remember one time this old lady at HEB, we walked up and she had supposedly fallen. She was trying to get into the vehicle, fell. Uh-huh. And this, you know, people were taking care of her. So in a way, it was like, do you need help? I don't know what to do because at the time I was like 15. So I was like, I don't really know what to do, but do you need help? And they're like, no. But I remember somebody like putting a blanket on her. Mm-hmm. And me just being like, well, that's nice. Like, put a blanket on the late. But now, in retrospect, I was like, oh, that's kind of smart. Because the woman, I remember she said she had hip pain. So it's like, well, she was old. She could have fractured that hip. Mm-hmm. You know, old people, maybe on blood thinners, could be bleeding really bad. Let's keep her warm. Yeah. Not going to hurt anything, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's just addressing the life uh, threats okay. and knowing, like, this is a threat. Okay. Cool. I did want to address really quick when it comes to a cardiac arrest uh-huh. or layman's, we they we always say heart attack. There is a difference between a heart attack and a cardiac arrest okay. medically. Um, and I can explain that really quick sure. if you'd like. Yeah. But um, a heart attack, I think of it as the way I remember it is something is attacking the heart and it's usually mm. a plaque that's like blocking off blood flow to the heart okay. that causes a heart a cardiac arrest. A cardiac arrest, so you think about the medical term cardiac, so that's our heart. The heart arrests, so it it, it it's stops. electrically is having issues to okay. where now we call it fibrillating. So we mm-hmm. have the heart pumps. We have mechanical pump for your heart and electrical pump. Both of those need to work together in order for your heart to circulate blood. Um, if a person has a cardiac arrest, the electrical portion of the heart has arrested or we call fibrillated to where now it's not pumping in the rhythm we want it to pump Mm -hmm. Um, to where now it's just kind of like we say fibrillating but it's like think of it as just jiggling where blood's not moving okay so they've arrested Mm -hmm. Um, what needs to happen is that their heart needs to pump right and so that's why we say you need to do cpr or cardiopulmonary resuscitation you are now the pump Mm. So you need to recognize, and this is what I tell people, this is how you recognize that someone has had a cardiac arrest. No, no, go. So no, they're not responding normally to you. They're not, either they're not responding at all or, hey, can't get them to wake up. Yeah. Can't get them to respond. So that's the first no. The second no is, are they breathing normal? So it goes back to, um, you know, do, are they moving air? Mm-hmm. Does it look like they're not struggling? If they're not breathing at all or... Sometimes people have what's called agonal breath, so it'll look like they gasp. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not normal, though. So yeah. no, no, and then you go. go. You start doing CPR. Okay. And it never, I did this one time, and it, it's kind of embarrassing because I'm a paramedic. So in a way, it's like, Elizabeth, <laughs> you're such an idiot. But the the man looked like he was gasping, and because he was gasping, and I went for the his carotid and his neck to feel, but his trachea was moving, so it masked his pulse. So I thought at first I could not feel a pulse. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I gave him two compressions, and he immediately woke up and was like, whoa. And I was like, okay, that wasn't the problem. Good job. <laughs> so you're not going to hurt anybody if you like try. So I'd rather you try. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it does feel a little bit weird at first because um, – uh, you'll feel like a little bit of popping, crackling. It's mm-hmm. just because think of that, your your rib cage and your muscles are protecting your vital organs. Right. And you're trying to overcome that to get to the heart. Yeah. Um, you're pressing something hard to something that you want to. It's kind of the opposite of bleeding control where I'm pressing right. the vessel to the The soft bone. thing to the hard thing. Yes. And this time you're pushing the hard thing to the to, soft thing yeah. to get it to pump. Right? Okay. So uh, that's what I tell people. No, no, go. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, that's a basic, easy way to remember how do I recognize this as an issue. Right. 
Um, okay, before we go on to this last little section here about what to, what to tell the first responders when they get there, mm-hmm. um, because we talked a lot about CPR and and us being the first responder, what you know, what do you recommend as far as training? Yes, training. So I'm glad you asked that because mm-hmm. I was just about to mention like here's some things that you know, especially if you're like. Um, I've had people who are like, I've asked them like, would you be willing to do CPR? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, how about I teach you real quick? And then after we teach them, they're like, now I'm more comfortable with recognizing the emergency and then being willing to jump in. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the harder part in our culture is, and I've had this question a lot. Personally, for me, I never thought of it as a child, the legal aspect of if I do something and somebody didn't want me to, would they get angry? I I wouldn't have even thought of that. (laughs) I know. I wouldn't have either. But supposedly this is a question. Uh Um, And I know for sure in Texas, we have what's called the Good Samaritan Law. I'm sure there's something like that across the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know what it's called. But basically... If you intervene to help somebody for good intentions, Mm -hmm. like, hey, they weren't responding to me, they didn't look normal at all, and I started CPR, um, you You, are protected by law. You can't be sued. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the majority, you know, for our listeners, this is is the homemaker, this is the mom at home, this mm -hmm. is, you know, what, what is the best thing for her to do to make sure that she's equipped and trained? Exactly. Yeah. So it, when we're, we're, so there's two different aspects I'd say to that. So first off, if you're thinking about, um, like the life emergency, such as trauma, bleeding or CPR, those are the two big things I would say at the home that you'd be really worried about. Mm -hmm. There are programs and I know our local fire department definitely provides those for the community. And I know across the board, I just can't say for every fire department, but um, we have programs, uh, CPR programs where Mm -hmm. you could come in and get, we call hands only CPR, or you can actually take a class and get certified as like a person that can provide CPR. Okay. But basically come up to the fire station and say, teach me CPR. Mm -hmm. It takes literally two minutes for me to pull out a mannequin and show you this is how compressions work. Okay. And this is the best way for your body mechanics, especially like... I've had older uh, people who are like, I'm not very strong. I get tired easy. How do I do CPR on my mm-hmm. husband if I need to? And mm-hmm. it's like, I understand that. Here's a good way to use your whole body versus... Because in the movies, we watch them like yeah. just like yeah. pushing with their arms and they're barely moving versus like, let me show you how to use your whole body. And you mm-hmm. can use, and it takes very little effort. Um, I Well, actually, I shouldn't say very little because who knows how long you'll be compressing, but at least you won't tire as easily. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, if, if you can't find like online, like places to take CPR, just go to your local fire station and say, Mm -hmm. show me Mm -hmm. they're a public servant. They should teach you how to do CPR. Right. Right. If they don't, that's another issue. And I would, I would start going up with being like, Hey, your firefighters need to teach me how to do something. <laughs> um, we also have what's called stop the bleed programs. This mm-hmm. is something that, um, I can't remember if it's the American heart association or there's another program, but anyhow, we're, we're starting to teach people. This is how you compress, um, massive bleeding. Right. This is how tourniquets are used. Right. You'll see, I know, I think HEB has one. Every, I know for sure in our county, every middle school and high school has, they're called Stop the Bleed Boxes. Mm. Um, there are a lot of commercial buildings trying to have it, where it's basically a box that's full of tourniquets and bleeding control equipment. Okay. Okay. So you're going to be taught, this is how, like at home, especially if you don't have a tourniquet, this is mm-hmm. how you compress a bleed in the mm-hmm. call 911. 
Um, or this is how you use a tourniquet. This right. is the best way to put it on. This right. is where you place a tourniquet. You don't put a tourniquet around the neck. So I've had that question. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you don't do that. Um, so you're kind of screwed on tourniquets when it comes to the neck. But this is like where we place them on extremities sure. and let's practice it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all the way down to, um, uh, especially when it comes to like specific uh, disease processes or, um, you know, my son or daughter has an allergy to this. What do I need mm-hmm. to do for it? Um, asthma, really bad, and they have a severe mm-hmm. asthma attack. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I would be, especially if it's a chronic problem. Yeah, I would get education from my primary doctor. So yes. whether so, the example I just brought up was um, allergy. You know, really bad allergy to like peanuts or bee stings or whatever. You're going to be educated on hey. The, the drug you need is epinephrine. Mm-hmm. Here's an EpiPen. You can, um, I know EpiPens are super expensive. So I know at least our fire department, we, we try to have ways to like help the community mm-hmm. with getting epinephrine. Um, but this is how you administer it, especially if you have one family member mm-hmm. um, or coworker that's like, hey, I have an EpiPen in my purse. They're a great um, resource for you to learn because they'll show you their EpiPen and be like, this is how you need to administer if I'm unconscious. Right. Yeah. 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 I think it's important just to be prepared and be educated. Exactly. Um, because I'm thinking the whole gamut of all these extreme, like the MARCH acronym and mm-hmm. the Stop the Bleed. But all the way down to just basic first aid exactly. in the home. Because that's a lot of what you're going to be dealing with. For sure. You know, yeah. burns mm-hmm. and like golf clubs to the nose. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so like have a good basic first aid kit. Yes. You know, have the supplies that you yeah. would need. Um, yeah, bandaging, yeah, antiseptic, maybe, cleaning, cleaning yeah. wounds is a good thing. Yes. I was thinking maybe I can get from you... Um, a, a list of like what you would consider okay. a good home first, first aid kit. Yeah. And we can put that in the newsletter that comes out after this okay. episode. Yeah, for sure. Just so people would have it in writing. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Well, um, I want to jump ahead so that we have time yes. to get to the fire. Yes. Would you say, cause you do have this one last line about preparing to give yes. the vital information when the first responders do arrive. Yes. Um, and this is when we're, this is still in the medical emergency yes. situation. Okay. So just really quickly, what do we need to remember? Yeah. So, um, just remember, I mean, Unless, you know, you've called 911 multiple times in the past, we've never been to your house. We don't know your driveway. We don't know where you're located in your house. So if you have the ability to send a sibling or someone out to Mm. meet them in the driveway, I've... I've had times where, uh, actually, I had it two nights ago, the night I was telling you I slept most of yesterday. Um, it was, uh, I think, one in the morning, and the mm-hmm. husband was outside and waved at us with okay. a flashlight. And okay. I was like, awesome. You super know, helpful. Super dark. Yeah, that was yeah. nice. Versus me being like, is this the right house? I don't want to mm-hmm. knock on a door at one in the morning. morning. I like, know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, have someone meet and greet, and then also be prepared to, like, because they're going to ask you what happened. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this, this is the immediate... I, Sometimes older people will be like, well, let me tell you about the last 20 years. And it's like, this is an acute issue. Tell me what happened today first. And then we can start going over like history. Mm -hmm. So just be prepared to like, this is what happened just right now. We also, and this is the part that I wanted to mention to you, at least our fire department has a thing called uh, a vial of life. So it's basically like a little bottle that has a uh, sticker in it that you can put either on your fridge or your front door that alerts the first responders that you have this vial of life. What's inside of it is paperwork. The paperwork Mm. is basic information. So especially if you have an elderly family member or someone that has a long history of like, this is, um, 
you know, their name, this is their allergies, this is medication, this is mm-hmm. their medical history. This mm-hmm. is like information yes. to know. Yes. Um, especially older people that have a hard time remembering, okay. like this is the meds I take. Um, let's say you have a family member that does have a DNR, a do not resuscitate. Mm-hmm. We are going to ask, show me the paperwork mm-hmm. because until you can prove that they have a DNR. You're going to resuscitate. Yes. Yeah. So that paperwork can be put in there. Okay. Um, and what happens that that little plastic vial is put in the door of your refrigerator. So we oh, know if you okay. have a vial life, I can look in your refrigerator and it's right there. Cool. Yeah. So it's a, it's a real practical, uh, thing I like to hand, especially to older people because, mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a load off their mind of being yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Like I, I, I don't know what's going on. It's like, okay, just hand me, you know, mm-hmm. information. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I did not know that was a thing. Yep. Very good. Okay. Are we ready to move on to fire? We are ready. Okay. So let's first start out with like a basic understanding of fire. Yes. Um, I want to talk about what fuels fuels fire and then the different classes or types of fires. Yeah. And this is just super basic common Mm -hmm. sense. So, um, just real, we call it the fire triangle. So, so basically like what feeds a fire and what makes it, um, continue and then maybe get larger. So there's three things that fire needs in order to continue sustain oxygen, heat, and fuel. And a great way to example, to think about this and even to teach kids like, um, what, like what this whole fire triangle is. It's a thing about a candle. Mm-hmm. So we need some kind of heat source. So like a match that we uh, provide heat to the um, to the source, right? right? So we have heat that's provided. The wick is the fuel. So this is what's going to sustain the fire, right? Okay. Um, and then oxygen, the way you can think about that with a candle is if we have it set out on the table, like it's going to burn great, but think about putting a lid on it now. What's going to happen to the flame? It immediately goes out. Mm-hmm. So if you remove any of those sources from heat, whether oxygen, heat, or fuel, if you remove any of those sources, the fire will go out. Okay. Right? Versus if you feed that. So we'll talk a little bit um, different things. Um, you know, we always talk about fire. Oh, how do we extinguish it? What fire extinguishers do you have? Mm-hmm. You're like, that's great. That's good. Um, but also think about, um, you know, how am I, how is there airflow in through the house that's going to feed that fire. What if I close the door to mm-hmm. that area and mm-hmm. now uh, suffocate that fire? Mm-hmm. So just different things. So basic, basic. Okay. What fuels a fire? These three things. Right. Great. Right. Um, I did men- I, I gave this to you, Allison, but different kinds of fire mm-hmm. uh, or classes of fire. I personally didn't really realize this. Maybe like, you know, I kind of like had a vague understanding, but yeah. it wasn't until I got in the fire service. So I was like, oh, there's different kinds of fire and different ways you have to address that fire. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so they put it in classes, but basically like there's, uh, they call it ordinary combustible. So things that you typically think about when you think about feeding a fire. Okay. Wood, furniture, paper. Okay. Like, cool. Anything that'll, that'll burn easy. Mm-hmm. Um, another class is like uh, liquid or gas. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, is it, gasoline on the on the fire pit it's going to make it get bigger don't mm-hmm. do that because that would be really bad um <laughs> we can have electrical fires a lot of i i can't say a lot of uh house fires i come to but there's a good majority of house fires that it was an electrical issue that initially caused the house fire, okay right so you're like okay whether it's you know some electricity wiring that was expo- exposed uh-huh. heaters you know especially especially in texas we don't have heaters going more often than not. So right. whenever it starts getting cold and people start turning heaters on, mm-hmm. we kind of joke at the fire station, we're like, we're going to start seeing fires, you know? Yeah. So because the electricity has, or the the wiring has not been used for a while, now it gets turned right. on and anything that's exposed will start. Right. Um, another class, metallic fire, uh, such as like magnesium. Think about like 
are electric cars. Mm-hmm. So if they're, if an electric car is starting to burn, this is like a magnesium fire or lithium fire. Okay. Uh, those are harder to extinguish. Uh. So yeah, I, I can't tell you more than that. I don't have much exposure with electricity. interesting. Thankfully, though. we I live in Texas where a lot of, of people has gas vehicles. Yeah. I was like, I don't have much exposure to it. Okay. I have had guys tell me, they're like, if you see a purple flame, it's really bad and just walk away. It takes like tons oh. of water. It takes a lot of effort. So if somebody's tef- Tesla is on fire. Yep. It's, it's going to take thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, and then the last one we think about like in the home. So cooking uh, grease. Mm-hmm. So um, uh-huh. so any kind of greasing fire, we want some kind of like basically like baking soda that's going to like okay. smolder the fire. Okay. So having baking soda in the house, uh, in your kitchen, is perfect. Important. Yes, especially for grease fires. Okay. So those are all the different classes and they're mm-hmm. class A, B, C, D, K, K. K is the cooking fire. Yes. Okay. I think K, like the way, way I remember it, K is for kitchen. So. Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Or it's, it's not actually for kitchen, but th- that's how I think of it. Yeah. I think cooking grease fire. Oh, it's in the kitchen. Well, um, and the reason why it's important to know this is because the extinguisher will mm-hmm. tell you which, whether it extinguishes A, B, C, yes. or any of those, right? Yeah. So class A is like your wood furniture paper. Class B is any kind of like um, gasoline, liquid. Class C is electrical fire. Okay. Um, so that's good to know because people ask about extinguishers. Mm-hmm. So um, especially in the home, if you want to have an extinguisher, which I would have an extinguisher in the home, why not? Yeah. Um, they make what's called an ABC extinguisher, which I think is brilliant because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, why why tell someone you have to buy an extinguisher for, for each, each kind versus yeah. I have an extinguisher that has the capabilities and the chemicals or whatever inside of it that mm-hmm. can combat a majority of the fires that most likely you're going to mm-hmm. run into in the home. Okay. So is your ABC extinguisher. Um, and then I already mentioned for class K, just baking soda. Like, okay. Just use that. Have you seen... Um, okay, so I have this thing. I, I should grab it, but it's in my kitchen cabinet and it's like in a, it's like a, in a can. Okay. So it's like, okay, I'm going to grab it. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> and I have another um, kind of extinguisher I want to ask you about. It's a fire spray. Have you seen this? I have not. That's really cool. First alert, easy fire spray. Stops fire fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on the bottle says ideal for grease fires. So yeah, I mean. That's why I have it by the stove. For sure. Yeah. Because it's, it's addressing that, um, grease fire. Right. So I would think that's that's more of a condensed means of like baking soda is kind of like yeah. Is at least what I'm reading it. I've personally never seen it. Okay. But. And then what about fire blankets? I have heard of that too. Like this is a big thing. This is always coming up on my Instagram feed. Yeah. The fire and for blanket. some reason I don't I don't ever remember it beforehand. I don't know I don't either. I don't know if it's because it's becoming more of a um trend right now yeah. or if I just never Realized it because I was oblivious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it hurts to have a blank uh, because basically the idea behind your smothering is exactly yeah. to smother. And I know at least fire department wise, we've talked about the blankets, especially when it comes to those um, like metallic fires. So the mm-hmm. magnesium, like the electric cars, because mm-hmm. we're like, what if we try smothering and water? Mm-hmm. Um, personally, fire department wise, um, we don't carry them on our trucks. If, if we do okay. have him, it's only like our battalion that has it. And honestly, I, I can't mm-hmm. say, I remember him saying he has it. So if you want to have one, go yeah. right ahead. It's not going to hurt. You can try smothering. If not, I mean, the ads are basically like, it's less messy than baking soda. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't and go everywhere. Messy, you just yeah. lay it over the top of whatever's on fire and it smothers it. Or, mm-hmm. 
you can get them in like jumbo size mm-hmm. to wrap around a person. Oh yeah. If they were on fire. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, it never hurts to get it. I wouldn't ask, again, that goes back to like the basics of fire. You're you're trying to take out the oxygen mm-hmm. part of it. So you're trying to extinguish that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean it doesn't hurt if you want to grab that. At the same time, you know, yeah, I, I would say it's not a necessity. So okay. that's really up to you. But it's okay. definitely a tool for your kit. Sure. So same as fire extinguishers. Right. Or, you know, whatever. Okay. So let's talk about having a plan. Yes. Um, having a plan indoors and having a plan outdoors. Yes. So indoor plan, what do we need to do there? Yeah. So um, again, you live in your home, you mm-hmm. know, um, um, you know, where the kitchen is, you know, where electrical equipment is, you know, where the laundry room is, you know, uh, what kind of like AC heating system that you have. Um, you also know, um, how your uh, house is built and mm-hmm. good exit plans, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, well, I, I'll kind of start at the bottom of what I had because I think sure. that's a better way. But um, I believe, and I'm not 100% on this, I believe according to building codes, every room should have at least a window. I okay. think that's a uh, size of room if there's like a closet, obviously. You're not mm-hmm. going to have a window in a closet. But just kind of knowing, okay, where are good exit plans for a house? So um, a lot of fires that, house fires that I have been present for. I'm not saying that I've seen million. I mean, we live out here in the hill country Mm -hmm. where it's technically more rural. So I'm sure city uh, people that live uh, in the city, there's going to be more, um, especially those fire departments, they, they see fires every day versus I don't. So I'm not, what I'm saying is I don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of the fires that I have seen will usually start with something like it's in the laundry room or it's in the kitchen or it's in the garage. So Mm -hmm. it's usually one of those places where it's like, there's some kind of like gas source that caught fire, Mm -hmm. um, or the electrical wiring or something like that. Okay. Um, so knowing like, okay, high probabilities of like where things could catch fire. So electrical, huge appliances, that's Mm -hmm. something just, you know, burnt and then now caught the the back of the mm-hmm. refrigerator on fire or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing, okay, where are bedrooms laid out? Where are doors that I can exit from? Um, and just having that floor pan for your family, mm-hmm. um, especially if you have little kids, it mm-hmm. never hurts. Because, I mean, think about it. Your kids go through a, a fire escape plan for their school. Right. So it's like, why not have a fire escape plan for your house? Yes. Um, just to, and it could be a fun game, especially if they're, like, I don't want to create fear in a child. Yeah. Because that goes back to, like, the pre-incident management, where it's like, I, I don't want a child to be afraid that, oh, no, my house is going to catch on fire. But also recognize that they observe things too. And mm-hmm. so they're going to see when the neighbor's house burned down. And even if they don't talk about it, they're going to go, oh, no, what if my house burns down? Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. You want to so, empower them. Exactly. To know how to react. So, exactly. Yeah. So just knowing where doors are. Um, something I put in here, which I personally did not know about until I started getting in the fire department. But it makes complete sense. And I've seen it 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was... 13 or so, somewhere in there, our neighbor across the street, their house burnt down. And um, afterwards, I guess because when they were coming out, we had them come on our property, especially their kids. We're like, just get out of the way Mm -hmm. so the fire department can do what they do. And I think they were, because their fire, I think they told us later that they had shown the little kid how to use a lighter and he lit the hay on fire for their bunny in the garage and then left it. Um, so it's like, oops, like fire oh safety, um, first, you know, make yes. sure the child knows not to do that. 
Um, but anyhow, uh, they let us go walk through the house afterwards, I guess. I don't really know why. It's mm-hmm. like, but anyhow, you could tell where um, we call it flow paths. Doors were closed. So consider closing doors because if you have a door closed, oxygen's not going to push through that area. Okay. And literally, it was amazing when you would open a door and recognize this door was most likely closed when the fire happened because it looks like that room wasn't even touched. Wow. No smoke, no damage, nothing. Interesting. So, you know, consider, granted I say this, I do not do this, but, you know, consider having doors closed at night. That uh, was my question. Doors. Should mm-hmm. we sleep with the doors closed? Sleep with the doors closed. Um, that way you're cutting off oxygen flow. Mm-hmm. Because again, it goes back to the the fire triangle, quote unquote, where if I, I cut off an oxygen source, smoke, and, and just think about it, when, um, when you have a fire, it, it's going to follow like the flow of oxygen mm-hmm. and air. So it's going to push wherever there's an open area versus yeah. if, if there's a wall or a door, it's not going to push into the door. It's going to go where there's the path of least resistance. Yeah. Okay. So consider having doors closed that don't need to be open, mm-hmm. right? Um, closing that flow path. Um, I would also say smoke detectors, fire departments are always going to push this. And it's a good safety thing. There's different kinds of smoke detectors. Um, there's a photoelectric kind and an ionizing t- kind. The photoelectric detectors, they use light sensors to detect uh, light particles, mm-hmm. while the ionizing kind detectors, um, they use radioactive material to detect. What does that mean for you? It just means there's different kinds. Okay. Who cares, right? I was just putting out there as information. Okay. Whatever. But they're both, both of them effective. use different means to determine that there is smoke Okay. or whatever in the area. There's also carbon dioxide monitors mm-hmm. as well. Um, some people, and I personally, again, I grew up more of rural, um, I wouldn't say farm, but definitely rural where we just had like the battery operated yeah. little ones. But there's people um, that have it part of their security system yeah. where if the alarm goes off, it will immediately, they'll send it, obviously mm-hmm. it goes to the security system, but they will alert the fire department. Yeah. So we get that all the time. Uh, yeah. A fire alarm went off, go check it out. And then the kid will come outside and be like, I'm so sorry, I burnt pizza. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> and it's like, that's fine. Um, we prepare as if that alarm went off. Because the, the good thing about having it connected to a security system is if you're not home and exactly. it is an actual fire. Exactly. So that's why we show up as if it's a structure fire. Exactly. So the guys are kind of come out in their full gear, mm-hmm. even if you're just like, I just you know, burnt the, the you know, pizza. The po- yeah. Yes. Oh. Like, okay. Burnt the popcorn. Yes. So <laughs> I would say have a good exit plan in mind. Okay. Uh, recognizing things. And practice it. And practice it, yes. With your family. Yes. Um, especially little kids, like yeah. walking through. If if you're all adults, it's like, well, do you really need to practice it? Just know. I remember as a child thinking, and it, it wasn't because we talked about having fires or not, but we had, so my room was on the second floor and we had a window. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, like if there's a fire and I can't get downstairs, I can slide out that window or I could, my sister's window on the other side, mm-hmm. there was a tree to it. So I was like, I could slide to that tree and climb uh-huh. down. Yeah. So, so even, in my, chi- even yeah. in my child's brain, yeah. you know, and I guess that was fear of just like, what well, happens? and I know too, that they make those um, ladders. They're like mm-hmm. those collapsible ladders. Yes. And a lot of times they can be built into the wall underneath the window. Oh, so that I like, never would have. Yeah. That. There's like yeah. a little door. And so the ladder is stored right there. And so if there was a fire, then they just, and it's connected so that it's, it's a safe. So like you just yeah. take it out and Especially then they if throw like, it over the window so and then they can't get out. Exactly. And there's so many houses, at least in our area, because we have so many hills yeah. where like 
before the house is even built, the There's foundation a, yes. is 10 feet up. So yeah. that would be perfect. Yeah. Like we have that situation yeah. here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Out these windows, it's quite a drop. I and mean, mm-hmm. that's not ground floor yeah. right there. So, yeah. So just considering good. your house, considering, you know, um, what potentially could mm-hmm. cause issues versus not, you mm-hmm. know, keeping up with like, okay, do I have old appliances, old wiring? Like just taking that into consideration. I'm not saying like, yeah, you have to remodel your, no, definitely not. I would no, I just mean, know that. Just, yeah, yeah, keep it in mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so, good. For sure. So that's indoor plan. Okay. How about the outdoor plan? Outdoor. Yes. So, um, First off, so pre, we're talking pre-management as well. So just thinking about access to the house. So, you know, um, do you have a lot of foliage that would make getting to the house hard? So it's interesting, Mm. you know, you don't recognize it with your, especially like people have cars and they're like, oh, I can get my house fine. And it's like, okay, but if if you have a lot of trees or things around your house where getting to your house can cause issues, maybe consider at least trimming the trees so that a a huge, large vehicle could gain access a little bit better. So you're talking, you know, the big fire truck is coming to your house and they've got the ladder to try to get somebody out of the attic or whatever. Yeah. So overgrowth where it's just like, you know what, have maybe consider trimming the trees a little bit, yeah. you know? Okay. Um, so just basically getting to the house, just consider that. Um, I would also say, um, and this should be obvious. A lot of this is obvious, but, mm-hmm. um, don't abandon a fire outside. Right. So, um, especially at least here in Texas right now, we're considered in dry. I think, right. We're I think we still have still a, under a burn ban. I'm I think pretty we sure. are. It lifted yeah. for like last week and then I think they put it back mm-hmm. on, but, um, just, you know, it's, it's because we haven't had a lot of rain, a lot of water. So things, everything's you know, dry spread. and yes. fires can spread quickly. Exactly. Yeah. So just don't, don't abandon it. At least, you know, it, have it in a, a grill mm-hmm. or, you know, a nice campfire, mm-hmm. uh, when you're ready to leave it, extinguish it. Right. So don't, don't leave fire outside unattended. Yeah. And hose it down too. Like I, yes. I noticed you said, so all our, we did Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is like been pounded into our heads yes. through the Scouts. Yes. You know, you never leave a fire unattended. No. And when the, when you're done, you wet it. For sure. Like, yeah. like, a. Elijah and the uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the prophets of Baal, you yes. know, more water, more water, water more water, exactly. you know, wet yeah. it completely. Yeah. Uh, and you, I mean, you know, it, everybody to a certain degree, we, we get a little lax with it. And there's mm-hmm. been times where we get called to a brush fire because, you know, they were just like, well, you know, I didn't think about it. I left it and yeah. it got a little bit bigger and it's like, oops, you know, that's yeah. okay, you know. But um, yeah, just recognize if you if you leave a fire, it's it's a fire. It's going to look to be fed by mm-hmm. oxygen, by fuel. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I will say too. So talking about grills, I mentioned like fire in a grill, right? Yeah, just grill safety. Again, don't abandon it. But also interesting thought. Think about where it's placed because a lot of yes. people like to grill like under like um, like a, a porch patio. Well, like right here. Yes. Like right outside our door. Yes. If we had the grill right there, mm-hmm. that would not be a good spot. And I can say <laughs> right off the top of my head, two, I, I remember two structure fires last year were because the grill, and it was not about, it was okay placement, but again, it was right next to the house or maybe under the patio and it was abandoned. Mm-hmm. And then that's, it caught the, the, the patio, the patio on, on fire. fire. Yeah. Or okay. one of them was right next to the garage and it caught the garage roof on fire. Um, so yeah, just think about placement once again, 
Mm-hmm. Can't say you can't grill on your patio, but don't abandon it. Yeah, right? don't leave it there. Yeah, exactly. So just think about placement with that kind of thing. So yeah, just have a mm-hmm. just have a thought process of how is my house laid out? What's laid out around it? Is there access to it? Is there things that potentially, you know, I want to have a campfire. I mm-hmm. want to grill. It's so much fun. But I also need to think about mm-hmm. safety with that. Mm-hmm. So where is it placed and abandonment and stuff? Okay, cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about teaching kids. Yes. Fire safety. We kind of touched on that. What are some guidelines there? Yeah. And it goes back to like a healthy fear, a fear Mm -hmm. that prompts. So it's like, you know, we can't shelter our kids from, um, you know, bad things or um, potentially risky things. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to mention a quote that I love. So um, I don't read a lot of books, but I read Charles... Charles Lindbergh's, um, what do you call it when they write it themselves? Autobiography? Autobiography, yeah. I read his autobiography, uh-huh. and uh, he had a huge quote, but the first part is the part I remember, because uh, he always supposedly would have people ask him, why did you take the risk of flying across the Atlantic? Because mm-hmm. at the time when he flew across the Atlantic, obviously flight was a very new thing. Yeah. The plane itself that he had, they like made specifically, and they didn't even mm-hmm. know if he, if he would survive. Right. And I didn't realize it until I read his autobiography, but um, there was literally people, I mean, it was a race to fly across the Atlantic. Yeah. And there was like at least two different instances within like a week or two before he flew where people were trying to fly across the Atlantic and died. Mm. So it was considered super, I mean, nowadays we don't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. But back then it was very risky. And so he had people that would always ask him like, why Why are you going to, either why are you going to do this or why did you yeah. do it? Because like it was a huge probability that you weren't going to make it. And his quote, I don't remember the full thing, but the first line was basically, life is risk. Mm-hmm. Like 100%. Yeah. Like this this life isn't all cushions and pillows. Like you are going to have to face risk. Therefore, teach your children how to face the risk. Teach yeah. them about heat with the stove. Teach them, you know, Bo- Boy Scouts is awesome because it's like, let's build a fire. Let's do mm-hmm. like the hard things, but let's do it safely. Let's mm-hmm. do, let's respect, let's respect what a fire it. is. Exactly. Yes. Learn to respect yes, it. Yes, learn to respect it. And like I mentioned with the neighbor with the lighter, I mean, you know, it's just a freak accident. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like when I'm teaching kids about starting a fire, lighting a fire, also just, hey, this can be really bad. Yeah. Um, another example that I remember, it's not specifically a fire, but um, it kind of makes me think about safety, teaching children with safety. So um, at least in Texas, everyone carries a gun, right? So I remember um, we used to go at the San Antonio Rodeo every year. They had um, a little like uh, old time Western uh, gunfight. But in their presentation, they would have, and as an adult, I recognize now it was a gun safety teaching Uh uh, time. As a child, I just thought it was cool. They were showing us that they had blanks. So when they shot, like he doesn't get hurt, but they would always take a styrofoam cup and show if I put my gun next to the styrofoam cup and shoot it, it's going to destroy the cup. And it always destroyed the cup. And all the kids were like, oh my God. (laughs) And so they were trying to tell us like, hey, we're taking a healthy risk. We know mm-hmm. how this could potentially get really bad. So, mm-hmm. but we're not going to, you know, say, therefore, you can't do it. Therefore, child, you cannot climb the tree because mm-hmm. you can fall and break your neck. I had the friend as a 17-year-old, he climbed the tree, he fell, broke his neck and mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell a child they can't climb a tree? Yeah. No. Like, yeah. But at the same time, they need to recognize when they fall and get hurt. I'm so sorry. Let's cry. Let's take care of the incident. Mm-hmm. But- let's prepare for next time. Let's mm-hmm. like learn about safety. So same with fire, medical, all that great stuff, letting them experience the risk, experience 
the hardships. And then also um, talking to them about it too, which we'll talk a little bit more about when we talk about later after the incident. Um, another thing I think is cool, personally, I never thought about it as a kid, but consider them taking them to a fire station and getting to meet the firefighters, look at the fire trucks. These guys love to show these kids. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll take them for a ride in the truck. Mm-hmm. They will pull out a hose and let the kid play with the fire hoses. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also talk about fire safety. Yeah. So if if you're more comfortable, if you're the mom that's more comfortable with like, I would really like a professional to talk to my child, mm-hmm. take him to the fire station. Those okay. guys love to show kids this stuff. Yeah. Um, and they can reinforce the fire safety. They can reinforce what you've already talked with your kids about. Sure. Um, and they get also, they get to see a cool truck. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah. that's so cool. I love that. Yes. Um, I like how you said healthy, teach them how to take healthy risks. Uh, that's yes. something I would always tell my boys. And I still tell them if they're going <laughs> off together on a backpacking trip, <laughs> they'd yes. be like, have fun take measured risks. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want them to not take risks because I want them to be men. Like I want, you know, but I want you to measure the risk. Don't just jump off the side of the cliff because your buddy did it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Be, be uh, thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. Measure, measure, you know, is this something I can do safely is, you know. And that's why, like, just think about technology and where we've come, like as a, as a society, as a Mm -hmm. culture, like, you know, it's because people took risks. Right. But at the same time, measured risk. That's why Charles Lindbergh was just amazing to me. Because yeah. he was like, but I measured every single risk I took. And yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. I love and then, that. And then now we just fly across the world for you know, I know. a week's trip. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I definitely want to have time to get through this after the incident because yes. this is something that you're passionate about um, because this is a lot of what you're dealing with yes. uh, when you go on these calls is how do you help people work through the trauma or the processing and, and that sort of thing. Yes. So let's talk about that yes. after the incident. What do we need to keep in mind? Yes, after the incident. So just recognizing everyone will experience some kind of trauma, mm-hmm. um, whether it's uh, something that we're all just like, that's horrific, or it's some of the hardest calls that I run into um, is more of like the mental health type of crises where it's like, I recognize that you called me because acutely you are worried about either hurting yourself, hurting someone else or whatever. So there's an acute issue, but at the same time, you need long-term help. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your family needs long-term. If uh, a lot of times, so if there is a cardiac arrest, that person who has died is no longer the problem for me because they've died. Mm -hmm. It's now the family. Mm -hmm. I've had where I'm like, do you want me to talk to your kids? I've had the kids outside. Mm -hmm. You want me to talk to the grandkids? Um, I've hugged people because they're just so hurt. And it's yeah. just like how I've had people where it's like, do you, do you have someone you want us to call? Like, is there a family member? Um, do, you, do you have a chaplain or a pastor that you, we can call? Right, That's what community is for, mm-hmm. right? Family and community is to help walk through that process. And just recognize, too, if you know someone who's gone through something hard, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think— for years and years and, you know, our parents and grandparents, we just learned to suppress and hide. And we're starting to have generations that are swinging. Granted, it's a, it, it's in a way a good swing where they're like, oh, we want to address the trauma and the issues and mm-hmm. stuff. Sometimes I think they swing a little too hard where it's like, too far. this is not as traumatic <laughs> as you think it is. Take a breath and man up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes that's hard too for me because I want to tell these children, man up, like this is not a problem. But at the same time too, recognizing like, you know, if if there's a, a traumatic thing that happens, you know, mm-hmm. a house fire, 
it's like, okay, kid, let's talk about it. You know, Mm -hmm. grandma died and it's like, okay, like talk about it with your kids. And I actually, I brought two books I was going to show you. Sure. Um, that is a good tool to talk about with kids. Um, yeah, I was just recognizing everyone's going to face a hard time. Don't underestimate the power of being the family member, the friend, the neighbor that sits, listens, and reminds people of Jesus. Um, because God does not promise us that, you know, everything's going to be okay and fine. Mm-hmm. Instead, he says there's going to be trials and tribulation. Um, things are going to hurt, um, but I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and even though at the moment in the circumstance, it doesn't make sense, and you say, how could God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, just recognizing that he's God. He yeah. has the whole world. He sees everything. He's like, this is for your good. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are some of the the most encouraging stories I've ever heard is the people who, who say like at the time that hurt really bad, but now I can see that that incident that happened has brought me to now I can help other people. Or I saw how that brought good into the life of those around me. Or right. How. So that's what I have to recognize and look at. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to kids, um, recognize that they take on stress. They see your stress. Um, they also, because they're young, they don't understand what's going on. And so um, age-appropriate conversations, obviously, you know, there's some things with a three-year-old that I'm not going to, you know, tell a three-year-old, but I still want to explain to them, you know, this is how we handle grief. And then also there's times, um, especially when I've been in the back of an ambulance where I tell people, like, I've had people going through something stressful and they're like, you can tell they're trying not to cry or they're Mm -hmm. just like, I'm so embarrassed that we called you. Like, I don't want to take up your time. And I always tell them like, first off, you're not taking up my time. This is what I'm for. When you're in emergency, Mm -hmm. you call me. That's why I'm here to, I've told so many people, it's okay to cry right now. If you need to cry right now, I will sit here and listen to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, grief is good. Uh, the two books that I, I'm sure there's lots of other, but I thought it was interesting with books. I have two books. One of them is called The Good Shepherd, mm-hmm. written and illustrated by Gary Varville, I think is his name. Okay. It's more of um, biblical-wise. Uh, um, it's basically about, uh, they call him the good shepherd, but basically Jesus with these sheep. The sheep, one of them with her baby sheep decides to do her own thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then something happens, the baby sheep dies. Mm. And then at the end, and this is the part I wanted, I wanted to read this little quote from this book. Sure. The shepherd comes back, he picks up the baby sheep, takes her, and basically for us, it's like he takes the baby over to heaven, like across mm-hmm. the the river. Um, the baby springs to life. Yay. Mm-hmm. Baby's in heaven with Jesus. Then the mom says, please forgive me, I shouldn't have strayed. And then Jesus says, that's okay, your debt's been paid. And then this is the part I wanted to read. Because to me, it's like, okay, how do I teach a child about grief and going to heaven? As sure as the sun rises and crosses the sky, all things that have life sooner or later will die. So recognizing hard things happen, people die. Mm -hmm. Animals die. Your pet, having little pets or animals is great for kids because it helps teach them in the moment. I understand your goldfish died and Mm -hmm. this is really hard and this is really sad. And you as a parent are just like flush it down the toilet for crying out loud. (laughs) But it's like, let's teach them grief on that small scale. So when grandma does die, okay, sooner or later things will die, but only the good shepherd can take us to a place where life never ends and we see him face to face. Okay. Mm. Um, The next book that. that I have, which I thought was interesting, it's the author, I believe, Joanna Rowland, I believe she's some um, some kind of pastor type chaplain. Mm-hmm. She works in um, like cancer hospitals for children. Mm, okay. So teaching about grief, and it's called the Memory Box, a book about grief. Mm. And it basically just follows this child who, it, 
the child in the book, it doesn't really say, but must have lost some family member. Mm -hmm. And it's basically giving, the book kind of gives ideas on like, this is how you can talk to a child. Okay. And then also how do we process the grief? So in the book, the the way the family helps the child process the grief is let's create like memories. So for this book, it was like a box of just like, mm-hmm. let's collect things that like, you like to go on hikes with grandma. So let's put the rocks in here or, you know, so at the end of the book, um, she, and this is the part out of this book that I wanted to read. Let's see if I can find it. Cause she kind of quotes um, Mr. Rogers, the mm-hmm. television host, children's mm-hmm. host. Um, he reminded us that when tra- tragedy strikes for kids, the first thing they want to know is how will this affect me? Mm. So, okay, I miss this person, but is this going to affect me in right. a negative way? Right. So the book kind of goes through the child's process of remembering and then also recognizing death and how do I approach grief. But then also at the end of the book, she gives ideas on how to like um, talk to your child about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I thought that was really good, um, mm-hmm. especially like, with a children's illustrated book, a yeah. good way to approach your child about um, about these hard topics. Yeah, I mean, definitely those two are related to uh, loss yes. and working through that. Um, I would imagine, I just think it's an important point to make, and I'm glad that you, you brought this up to say, you're going to go through the situation and there will be an aftermath, no yes. matter what the situation is. Exactly. You know, no matter how intense or not intense, um, you're going to have to deal with what comes next, particularly with kids, because yeah. there's going to be, well, what if that happens again? Or, you know, yeah. fear and, you know, possibly nightmares and, you know, all yeah. of those kinds of things. So just be aware yes. and and take the necessary steps yeah. to help process, whether that's you need to process mm-hmm. or you need to help your child process. Exactly. And yeah. don't just And like, recognize it takes time. Yeah. And don't just be like, oh, okay, we're done yeah. with that. We're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. So gauging like where that child's at, you know, talking to them, mm-hmm. you know, even for adults, I, I this last cardiac arrest we had, um, I was not in charge. We had another guy in charge. And so I got to listen to him, how he talks with the family about the aftermath. And he he said a sentence that I was like, brilliant. He asked them, he's like, would you like to know what happens next? Mm. And I was like, that is so helpful. Cause you could hear the relief in the family. They were like, please tell us. Cause they weren't prepared for the family mm-hmm. member's death. So it's like, yes, tell us what happens next. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay. So, um, yeah, just just yeah. having someone that can sit with you, whether it's acutely and it's one of us sitting with you going, this is typically what happens, or it's long-term family member where you're like, okay, how do we how do we sit and talk through? Mm-hmm. And then also like, you know, be able to function and get back into life and move mm-hmm. forward and find joy and happiness too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Yes, of course. I'm so glad we could have this conversation. Me too. This has been stimulating. Um, You've given us a lot of food for thought. Um, I just want to remind people that it's super, super important to um, prepare your response ahead of time and think about how you're going to respond and remember remember that you are the first responder. And hopefully this... You know, not only this helps prepare, but then also this helps um, comfort as well mm-hmm. for knowing like you're not alone in mm-hmm. uh, the hard times. But, um, you know, everyone goes through something to a level of hard- hardship, but there are people and resources that will come and help you. Absolutely. And ultimately that we don't need to be uh, ruled by fear. Exactly. Because yeah. we serve a God who has conquered death and says he will never leave us or never forsake us. So great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this deep dive on emergencies in the home with Elizabeth Dillard. I hope you feel encouraged and a little better equipped 
to face emergencies in your home. I hope this conversation has inspired you to prepare a response by first preparing your heart and your mind with scripture, then preparing yourself and your family with education, and finally your home with proper supplies, safe environments, and clear plans on how you will handle medical and fire emergencies. Remember, you are the first responder and you have the ability to set the tone for others in an emergency situation. Prepare now so that you're better equipped to keep your head and help others in and even after an emergency. In this week's newsletter, Homemaker Happy Mail, Elizabeth is sharing a basic first aid and fire safety supply list with us. If you are not on our mailing list and you want to get a copy of that, be sure to sign up at theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe. If you're listening later in the future, there is a good possibility that this list is posted on the blog somewhere. So go to theartofhomepodcast.com slash blog and search for this episode title. If you have found value in today's episode, you can say thanks by sharing it with a friend. That is the most important thing you can do to help spread the word about the art of home and let more women know that these valuable resources are available to them. You can also review the podcast on your listening app, or of course, you can give through Buy Me a Coffee. All of the support links are in the description box, or you can go to our website support page, theartofhomepodcast.com slash support. That is all for this week's episode. I will be back next week with a brand new homemaker portrait. Until then, keep practicing your art of making a home.